You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for May 1st, 2022, the third Sunday of Easter. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. Good morning again, and welcome again, and we welcome all those who are streaming with us again here this morning. So uh, in the passage that Reverend Elizabeth just read to us, uh, three of those verses are my favorite verses in the Bible and the touchstone for my life. And it is the three questions of Jesus asking, Peter, do you love me? Now let's set the, the context for this. So this is in some sense, this is the story of two charcoal fires. The first charcoal fire takes place on Thursday night, uh, which we would call Monday Thursday. And we know the story well, and many of you who have been to the Holy Land have seen the place that I'm about to describe. So uh, as at the Last Supper in John's Gospel, Jesus gives the new commandment to love one another uh, as he has loved us. By, peop- by that people will know you are my disciples. And then he says, to, where I'm going you cannot follow. And Peter says, I- I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus gives him the news that before the cock crows three times, uh, before the cock crows, crows uh, tonight, you will deny me three times. We know the story. Jesus is arrested in the garden and he's brought to the, the, the house of the high priest Caiaphas. And Middle Eastern homes of then and in most parts of the Middle East now all have a courtyard. And the courtyard is closed. And it's clear that the man that we call John, the man that we call the beloved disciple, the author of the gospel, was known in some way to the people of the high priest, for he was able to enter the courtyard. And then he goes and gets permission to bring Peter into the courtyard. And so Peter enters the courtyard with people who are, in some sense, not his people. And it is around a charcoal fire that they they, they make this fire because it is cold. And we hear constantly, Peter is standing near the fire to warm himself. And then we get these, these accusations. Certainly, certainly you are one of them. And I, you know, I, I am not, didn't I see you in the garden? That wasn't me. So he denies three times knowing Jesus. And if you've ever been to this courtyard in St. Peter Gallico, which is the church that honors Peter's denials, there is a sculpture, and the sculpture is so brilliant, you can see on Peter's face the denial. It, it, it's, it's brilliant. It's almost as though you were there warming yourself by the fire, and you're like, oh, ouch, there it is, the denials. And so we have this charcoal fire on a Thursday evening in the dark, in the night, And now we have to cast ourselves forward. This is after the resurrection. This is after Jesus meets with the disciples in the so-called upper room in Jerusalem. And now they are back in, uh, up at the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, uh, back to their, their old home. And we hear that Peter wants to go fishing. I mean, Peter and James and John, these are, these are fishermen and they head out fishing. And now we hear that there is another charcoal fire and it's on the beach and dawn is breaking and Jesus is there. So you notice we have the darkness with the first charcoal fire, we have light in the second charcoal fire. And we have the miraculous catch and, uh, and then Jesus makes breakfast 
four of the disciples and it says they did not dare say anything. They did not dare ask him who he was or say anything because they knew who he was. So there is this thing about the transfigured and transformed and transforming Jesus. They know his being, but they're, they're afraid to speak. And so the only conversation that we hear is between Jesus and Peter. This passage is often known as uh, the rehabilitation of Peter or the, the reinstatement of Peter. And it gets that title because we move from Peter's three denials to Peter's three affirmations of, I love you. And we often hear commentators talking and saying, this is a story about forgiveness. And other commentators will say, this is a story about guilt being absolved. And, and Justin, uh, in our podcast, gave wonderful words around this as Jesus is the instigator of all that. And it's all true. But there's a part of me that simply says, sure, fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, fine, fine, fine. But it doesn't get to the heart of the matter, which is, by the way, a great book by Graham Greene. But the heart of the matter this is not a story about forgiveness, and it is not a story about uh, guilt being absolved. We are told uh, in the end of the passage where Jesus uh, has a prophecy that Peter will stretch out his arms. Okay, that is, that's colloquial slang for you're going to be crucified. Stretch out your arms, and a belt will take you where you do not wish to go. The old translation had a leather belt will pull you to where you do not wish to go. And I just would like to bear witness to what I believe is the truth is people do not go to crucifixion because they were forgiven. I just don't believe it. We've all been forgiven. We've all been absolved. We've all done things wrong. But it doesn't mean we want to follow the people to, being, to be to a crucifixion or a death because we did something that we considered woeful and then we've been forgiven. This is not primarily a story about forgiveness. This is a love story. Love is, there's no forgiveness in this, no guilt in this. This is about love. The word love comes up three times in these verses 15 to 17. So there are, there are, there are more than one lover of Jesus in the Gospels and, and of course in John's Gospel there is the beloved disciple. The, the, we would say the author of the Gospel is the beloved disciple. The one whom Jesus loved most. I bet that's a hard one to trump, right? And we have, the, we have the beloved disciple. But nowhere in here do we quite get that the beloved disciple is the one that loved Jesus most. I mean, Jesus gave him the spot sitting next to him at the Last Supper. Uh, the beloved disciple was, as you know, the one who beat Jesus to the tomb. We also have the story of Mary Magdalene, and that is undoubtedly a love story. And that is an incredible, incredible love story. And we did that on Easter Sunday when Mary loves Jesus so much that when she sees the two angels in the tomb, she's unimpressed with the angels. She wants only Jesus. This is an only Jesus thing for Mary, for Mary Magdalene. And so she clearly loves him. Now, Peter, think about what you think of Peter. Our tradition has made much of relegating Peter to a coarse fisherman who is blunt and strong in of opinion and probably strong in body and he is a leader. 
But everywhere in John's Gospel, uh, he is kind of nosed out at the finish line, like Usain Bolt beating some guy in a sprint, uh, nosing, nosing Peter out. And so at every turn, it seems like, well, John, John is the primary one, except for when it comes to love. Now, I just say that Peter, for us, is mightily confused for a large portion of the world uh, because of doctrinal battles that took place later when around in the Roman Catholic Church and those opposed to the Roman Catholic Church around the primacy of Peter uh, leading to the papacy. And we sometimes begin to get the idea that, you know, Peter is, he's the guy over here. Uh, and we forget that Peter is, in John's Gospel, he is the great lover of Jesus. He is the one whose love for Jesus is so profound that he dies for Jesus. And we, we don't catch the portion where John ambiguously does not, but that's for another time. So it, it says that we hear this, these stories, that when Jesus asked, uh, uh, well, it, Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me, right? And so we get this thing, Peter felt hurt. And this is a translation problem, again, which you sometimes hear Justin Elizabeth and I discussing on the podcast. And I mentioned in the podcast, you know, times that I might feel hurt. I feel hurt when somebody drives down the street and gives me a certain signal, right? Uh, and, and, and cuts me off and says all kinds of things through his window to me. And I feel hurt. But that's not what's happening here, right? So the, the previous translation is, Peter felt grieved. And another one has, grieved with a sorrowful heaviness. Okay, so what is happening here when it says Peter felt hurt? This is, this is heartbreaking. This is, one, one commentator, a very famous commentator, said something about what Peter, Peter says to him, Lord, you know everything. Okay, one commentator said this was pathetic. I was like, oh man, I'm not reading any more of your book. It's not pathetic. It is, because pathetic is negative. Uh, it has a negative spin. When someone says to me, Peter, you're pathetic, right? I know what that means. And it's not what's happening here. Peter is heartbroken. He is, his heart is rent. It, it is wrenching. His heart is ripped open. When he says, Lord, you know everything, there is nothing left. I mean, Jesus may say you're going to have your hands stretched out, but it's in that word, you, Lord, you know everything. Peter is dying at that word, at that line. That's where Peter's dying. He's dying right there. He cannot abide in his personhood that Jesus would not know that he loved him. The, most, the central most important fact in Peter's life is still questionable to the one person. That's what he cannot stand. He cannot take this. And so what we get in these, in these verses is, is the disposition of Peter's heart, right? We get the love is the disposition of his heart. And Jesus responds with love as a commission for life. That's, that's how Jesus responds to Peter. And so we get, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. So the first thing for us to notice is, these are not Peter's sheep. These are Jesus' sheep. And I believe next Sunday, uh, for Sunday of, of Easter, uh, usually the, the Good, Good Shepherd Sunday, we'll, we'll hear the passage of the Good Shepherd where Jesus talks about himself in divine terms. This is, he's using terms for himself that are used for God in the Hebrew scriptures. 
And, and then goes on to say, I have, I have followers who are not members of this fold. In other words, it's not just all you church people, right? And, and, uh, and so this is the moment where Jesus is telling Peter, you are to love these people with my love. It's not your love, it's my love. You are to be the, the intimate, you are to feed them with my love. You are to tend the flock by holding them in my love. Again, back to the podcast here. Uh, there was a really fun conversation there for a moment, uh, particularly between Justin and Elizabeth, uh, two super smart people, uh, discussing who's the author of the gospel. And they don't agree, except that they're both right, right? This is, this is, this is a, a matter of biblical uh, 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 interpretation. And Elizabeth brought up one of the questions that is sometimes talked about in biblical circles, which is to say, um, it is written in such a way about the beloved disciple so that we're all beloved disciple. So we are the ones that Jesus loves most and that we are the ones who sits next to Jesus at the Last Supper. We are, and on that, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's hard to argue with, mm, fine. But uh, St. Ignatius understood and trained his people, who we call the Jesuits, to read the scriptures in such a way that we imagine ourselves into the scriptures. We are part of the biblical story. We are to, we are to, to so-called meditate. Uh, well, he has a whole way of, uh, of, I'll leave off about how to do that. And we are to enter into the scriptures. So in some sense, we are every person in the scriptures. And I would say that any time we decide we're not Peter, we are way wrong, just like deciding, you know, we always talk about, oh, we're all doubting Thomas. We should all be saying we are all Peter. And the reason we should be saying we're all Peter, not only because Peter, in some sense, is, you know, he's, he's, the, common, he's the common person. He is, he, and we're all common people, even no matter how nice his shoes are, our shoes are. We are all common people. And the Christian story is a love story. That's what it's all about. It is a love story, and we sometimes get that tangled. So I think it goes something like this. God is love. We hear that in 1 John. That's the one statement we have in the New Testament about the being of God. What is God? Who is God? God is love. God is divine love. That's, that's what we're told. We are made in the image of God, which means we are made in and for love. The being, we're made in the being and for the being of love. Jesus is God incarnate. So that makes Jesus love incarnate, capital L, love incarnate. And we are told at the end of the, the passage that Elizabeth just read, we are to follow Jesus. We are to follow this man of love who taught the way of love. That's, if you want to summarize Jesus' teachings, you can say he taught the way of love. And the Christian life, what, the, what it's about and what we're about to baptize Ella into, is a life where we are trained and taught and prepared to be transformed in love. The goal of the Christian life is not to be a great disciple. That's not the goal of the life. This is not like I want to rise up, I want to be senior vice president of discipleship. That is not the purpose of discipleship. And it is nor is it the purpose to be an apostle. A disciple is a follower, an apostle is one who's sent out. 
clearly this feed my lambs thing is an apostle call, a sent out calls. That's also not the purpose of the Christian life. The purpose of the Christian life is to be completely transformed in love, in divine love. That is the purpose of life. And that is what happens to the most common of common people in the New Testament. Peter. Peter is, there's a restaurant in New Hampshire called The Common Man. That's Peter. And he is transformed in love. He is so transformed from the follow me on the edge of the Sea of Galilee that he dies for Jesus. That's the transformation that takes place. So just a, a, a parenthetical kind of personal note here. Some of you know, because I talk about it without ceasing, that I have my 40th college reunion coming up and I cannot figure how I got to 40 years. I just cannot, I cannot understand how 40 years went by. I can't figure it out. And as part of that, we write up a little bio about what happened in the last five years and the college prints all this stuff up. And as I was writing my bio, I was reflecting on the meaning of my life. When I was in college, I was obsessed with the question of the meaning of life. Once I realized it was not stopping a soccer ball. Uh, that I, and what did it mean if it wasn't stopping a soccer ball? And so 40 years later, I came to conclude that the meaning of life is love. And that's it. It is super simple. That's it. And uh, the, the, uh, Ann Fuller, who was uh, buried yesterday, and her service is here, and uh, uh, Jonathan, who's here, and Sam, and Mary Ann, her three adult children uh, bore witness to their mother. And I think we should all hear it, if you, if you didn't go. It is a witness of love that is shocking. It's so powerful, you cannot believe it. And, and, and Anne was never the senior vice president of anything. And she also didn't eat meals in her car. We learned a lot of important things. It was all about love, and that's it. That's the meaning of our lives. And in a little while, we're, gonna, we're going to, uh, uh, when Ella, who's out in the back waiting for her big moment, is going to be baptized here at the font. And she is being baptized in love and for love. And we are baptizing two Sundays in a row because the Buchanans wanted, their, wanted Ella baptized in the community, not just in, in something uh, in their backyard, something in the community so that she could know she's part of this community of love. She's being brought into the fold of love so that she can be trained and taught and transformed in time. And, and yesterday when we, we talk about going from cradle to grave, but given that Anne, her great-grandmother's funeral was yesterday, we're going from grave to cradle here this morning, uh, and Anne present in the communion of the saints. It's just a beautiful witness to love. Now just a word about the final words we have every Sunday in the liturgy. So we say at the back of the church, go and make disciples who live a deeper life in Christ, a more holy communion with one another, and a greater love for the world. And that's our, that's our mission, the, the mission statement of the church, and the, the, the purpose of the dismissal, even missal, see, hear the word, has mission in it. What is your, what is your mission? It's, it's to launch you into the world and other, other potential dismissals in the Book of Common Prayer, which you know if you're a professional churchgoer. Let us go forth in the name of Christ. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. And the older one, let us bless the Lord. Uh, I'm gonna, I think that we would do well 
uh, and maybe Justin, who's involved with the liturgy, liturgical commission, can, can propose this, but I think it's going to be turned down. Anyway, here's how I think we should be dismissed. And it goes something like this, and I'm sorry I didn't write it in the bulletin because I did it too late. But I think it would do well if it said something like this. The deacon says to the congregation, Jesus asks you this morning, do you love me? And the congregational response is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then the deacon says, feed my lambs. And then a second time, the deacon says, Jesus wants to know, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend to my sheep. And then the third time, the deacon says, Jesus wants to break your heart. He wants to open your heart. And he says to you, do you love me? And we say, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. The deacon says, feed my sheep. Find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.